This is the very latest in brain research, a map of the major neural pathways in the human brain. Such research may hold the key to unlocking the complexities of the human mind. It's particularly busy in the museum today, and I don't quite know why, but we've had to come out here to find a bit of peace and quiet. My name is Mark Champkins, I'm the inventor in residence at the Science Museum and it's my job here to look at the archives and the collections and the objects we have here and design products that are inspired uniquely by the Science Museum. I had a business, or I still have a business, designing products to help kids to concentrate and I had pitched it on Dragon's Den and got some money, some backing to develop a range of products and I came to the museum because I'd actually written a book and I had this idea about invention that everybody has a kind of invention in them. They say everybody's got a book in them. I think everybody's got an invention in them. And I started to research prominent people, famous people, and found a whole host of people that have patented things. So Marlon Brando, Jamie Lee Curtis, Michael Jackson have all patented things. So I had written a book covering all their different patents and I came to the Science Museum to talk about that about using that as an exhibition or something. And then I told them about the other stuff that I did in the background, the, the concentrate business. And they said, well, we're looking for somebody to design things that are uniquely science museum, that, you know, draw from the archives. And I fell over myself, really, volunteering, and, and that's how the role came about. An inventor is somebody that comes up with somebody, something new or patentable the inventive step is described as non-obvious, so something that combines something in a way that hasn't occurred to anybody before. It's what you're exposed to, the different stimulus that you have throughout your working life can recombine to come up with a new idea or a new direction. So I do try and make a conscious effort of going and seeing things and exhibitions and, and galleries and walking around the museum as often as I can because I'm sure that they recombine at a later date to come up with an idea so the sort of environments I find stimulating are usually packed with artefacts or new things that I've never seen before or new people looking at things in new ways you know art galleries and things so I do try and do that but I guess everybody does that for entertainment but I almost find it an essential part of generating ideas in the same way that a smell takes you back to a memory very quickly talking about a kind of flash of inspiration and there is that same I think there's this kind of satisfaction in it it's kind of the smooth running of your brain when it works and it's it takes you somewhere interesting it's there's a satisfaction in that um, so I think it happens with a smell and it happens with a memory and it comes back and it, it's sort of a blast it also happens and is very satisfying when you realise you've got a solution to a problem that, that will work or you combine two things that haven't gone, to, gone before, you know, gone together before and you come up with something that's practical and useful. So there's that same satisfaction. The deeper we explore, the more complexity there is to discover. There are two sites on the museum that are particularly pungent, I guess. Um, one is actually as you walk into the museum periodically 
They have a steam engine. It was an old mill engine from Burnley. And periodically some old duffers come in and get it running. And they, they, they have a real sort of pride in it and they clean it, clean it all up and then stoke it. And it's working and puffing out steam in the main foyer of the museum. And it's an absolutely beautiful smell, a kind of mix of, of hot oil and steam, vape, you know, water vapour in the air and a kind of, a, a kind of coal, like coal dust type smell, um, which is lovely. It's really nice. And you always get a big crowd of people around it watching it go and then the sounds. And it's very... Uh, sensorial the whole thing so that's one area and then the other area is in one of the archives and it's our archive building for small objects and medical objects and there's a gallery in the basement an archive in the basement that's it's kind of damp and quite eerie and they they have things like iron lungs in there they have childized iron lungs and they have a lot of weird uh, restraining stuff from asylums and it's a very spooky space but it smells of kind of leather and surgical spirit and dust and slightly damp. And it's, it's just a, a very dark room and quite cold as well, a couple of degrees below the rest of the archives. Um, and that's quite an eerie space, but it's, it's, uh, it's the smell as well that kind of overtakes you. Michael Jackson, you know where he does that 45-degree lean he invented a pair of shoes that enable him and his backing dancers to do that live because when they did it in the video he was on sort of a rope but when they do it live he designed a pair of shoes with a little hitch a little slot in the heel and on stage there are these little catches hitches that come up from the stage and you can shuffle over them and it it forces your heel to stick to the stage so it, it catches in you can lean and then you shuffle back the hitches pop down and not the audience and none the wiser so he designed the pattern documents beautiful it's a picture of him in like a fedora hat leaning over with like one one glove on doing this this lean it's amazing i have a theory that I didn't know whether I was going to share with you or not, but I've just decided to because we're talking about the brain. And I've not shared this with anybody else, and I'm sure you're going to think it's nonsense, but I'm going to say it anyway. I have a theory of anti-smell. And so you know sometimes when you go into a room and it's a particular colour, and your eyes get used to that colour, and then when you walk out, you get the opposite colour or the opposite receptors in your brain. and you, So you walk into a yellow room and then you walk out and it, everything looks slightly blue. Well, my theory is that if you're in a room with a certain smell and then you walk out into an, a, a normal, you know, an unscented room, that you would smell something that is opposing that thing in the same way that your eye scent receptors are overcome and overstimulated by a colour. I think the same thing can happen with the smell. And then when you leave, you smell something that doesn't actually exist because you're reattuning to not having that smell around you. So I think that there might be... Well, I don't think, but there might be uh, opposite smells. It might be like colours, that, like a colour wheel. You have colours that dull or mute a blue and an orange or opposite on a colour wheel and they, they mute in a sort of perceptual sense. It might be that there's the smell of banana, there's an opposite smell of banana, which is... Sweat. Sweat, <laughs> Sweat. yeah. Or something like 
horsehair or something really arbitrary happens to be the opposite smell. I'm putting it out there. I'm just putting it out there. What do you think? When we throw something away, we, we normally don't think about it anymore. We just throw it away and it's kind of left our consciousness. So this opened this week. It's a rubbish collection. And the museum is attempting to collect every piece of rubbish that would otherwise be thrown away from the office, this kind of back office, the visitors, the workshops, absolutely everything. We found a bra this morning. And it's all going to come down here, where there's a unique and special smell, which is sort of slightly sickly sweet, actually. Sort of rubbery. Yeah. I think it's in part these strange floor tiles, but... Um, I was talking to the curator and he was saying there are so many kind of sugary drinks and decomposing fruit that that kind of smell is probably coming from those things. We are then going to um, invite the materials, the transformed materials, back to this space, to the Science Museum, to form an exhibition. We found a little mouse yesterday, the dead one. It was really tiny, curled up on a Science Museum map trying to do a project where I'm going to take some of the items, some more interesting items, and try and make them into things and then sell them back to the, the great British public that have kind of left them behind, which I think is quite a nice sort of concept. So, uh, yeah, like, like a sort of science museum womble, I'll make use of the products. So we are inviting members of the public to get involved in this project and help us document the rubbish that comes through the building. We'll give you some protective clothing and we'll instruct you with what to do. And we want you to lay out the contents of the bags of rubbish that are coming in and document them for us. But yeah, the smell is, it is a, it's a strange mix of things that I haven't quite been able to put my finger on. I thought it was sort of deodorised, actually, initially. I, I thought it was kind of a masking smell that somebody had thought about, but it's not. It's just, just the smell that's generated. What is that? So, I think it's a wobbly rubber. Oh, yeah. In the is. shop. I don't think that's rubbish. No, you're right. I'm probably sell that. Oh, One dear. I'm interested in rubbish is to think about the value that is afforded to oh, um, spirals. stuff that we throw away. For, especially in relation to spiral spine. Where do they get that? Things in working order. <laughs> so in museums some and art galleries, there is this idea that something like comes into the gallery and it accrues value. The building gives it value. A safety I like the pretty things box. What's in the pretty things box? We've got some homemade, homemade sunglasses. Well, there's a kind of wonder. Mm. They're obviously bracelets to identify school kids, <laughs> but they've slipped out of them. And when you open a bag of rubbish, you open it's like pieces a storybook. So come and help us. Priceless London MasterCard corporate. Don't know what that is. Bit of a peg, but it's quite a pretty peg. <laughs> Jamie Lee Curtis invented a nappy. She, it was a nappy with a little pocket for talcum powder and a little pocket for wet wipes. The exact quantity you need to change a nappy. And the idea is to have everything to hand and to be able to do it very quickly and 
perhaps with one hand as well, so you don't have to carry around a big pot of wet wipes and talcum powder and everything else. Um, but then she protected it and she wouldn't let anybody use the idea until biodegradable nappies came out and now they're starting to emerge. So we may well see a Jamie Lee Curtis nappy coming to a high street near you. I haven't got a key to the museum, but I certainly get to hang out when there's nobody else around. It smells of stale sweat at the end of a day when all the kids have gone. Honestly, it does. Um, so there's that kind of pervading scent. It's like a school without anybody in it. And they always feel slightly sad, I think, when you go back to a school when there's no kids in it. It's a, it's a similar thing, although obviously the, the artefacts are here and in themselves they're amazing. It's not quite itself without hordes of kids bumping into things and people. I actually went to the gym and left my gym kit in my office for too long and there was a smell about it so it occurred to me that there was a problem but then a few days later I was thinking about the fact that you have odour eaters for shoes and they slip into the, the insoles and they fumigate the shoes and it occurred to me that the smell of my gym bag was a lot like shoes and then I thought well why don't bags have the same sort of odour eaters available that you just put into a bag because quite often gym bags and things end up smelling like the inside of a shoe and so I thought well maybe someone's done that before and then it turned out they hadn't so it's I guess it's two diverse things an odour eater and then a sports bag or a rucksack combining those two things and it was quite a quick thing to prototype and try out I took it about a week later to John Lewis and they were like yeah we'll take 4,000 and that led to the anti-smell sports bags and the nice thing about the the patch that I used in the end is activated carbon so really it's just ground up carbon which absorbs aromatics and organic chemicals it's so low tech it's sort of almost farcical but it does genuinely work I called it a pong patch so I had a big patch sewn on the inside of the bag and called it a pong patch and I think for kids that's sort of particularly appealing a kind of fungus the bogeyman kind of uh, pong patch um, on the inside of a bag so yeah they've been relatively successful Marlon Brando was into bongo drum playing and he invented a very sophisticated tuning device for tuning bongo drums. One of the only ways of electronically tuning bongo drums and probably would have made quite a lot of money out of it but he, he, he did it only a, a year before he died so yeah, not, not much came of that. Because I was looking at concentration, I find it quite interesting. Smell is in your olfactory part of your brain, which is in the limbic system, which is supposed to control emotions. And that, I think, is why some people say there's a link between you know, smell and memory. And it occurred to me that it might be a good way of helping kids to learn or concentrate. Because an exam, especially early exams you do, are kind of tests of memory. I wondered whether you could have a whole suite of different smells for when you're doing different lessons or learning different things and then whether you could play that back in a exam hall to evoke those same memories you know, of, of the, the different techniques that you might use to answer a question.
whether you could break it down so you've got little capsules in a row and you've got you know a whole number of them and one of them's your algebra capsule and you remember a technique or a formula and another one's you know I, I wonder whether there's that close a connection whether a, a memory is just a, a feeling about or a sensation or whether it can be specifically a formula or a piece of information we've got some inventions people sometimes do that they go oh I've got an invention and it's this and it sounds like the most crazy thing you've ever heard and you've got to go oh uh, well if, I think if, if I were in your position I'd do this that and the other and you're just thinking oh dear hi Mark well uh, first of all can I just tell you what a privilege it is to be here in this position and that you too have been here before me well Mark I'd like to present to you Swallable Parfum Swallable Parfume is a capsule that enables human skin to emit a genetically unique scent about who we are and how we perform our identities. A capsule that consists of synthesized fragrant lipid molecules that mimic the structure of fat molecules naturally found in the body. Subsequently, the fragrant molecules are excreted through the skin surface during perspiration and these tiny droplets which are left on the skin emanate a unique odor. The potency of scent is determined by each individual's acclimatization to temperature, stress, exercise or sexual arousal. Swallable perfume. Blimey. That sounds good. It could it clean you as well. Could it contain sort of, you know, particles of soap and maybe uh, there's a pill now that you can take that blocks the sun instead of sun sun cream. Yeah, there's, there'll be in you know, five, ten years, you'll take a pill and then you won't need to worry about the sun. Yeah, whether you sh should do it, in the words of Jurassic Park, just because it can be done doesn't mean it should be done. Um, I, yeah, I, it does sound like quite an interesting idea to explore. It seems such an odd way round, doesn't it? How can we get stuff onto our skin, probably eat it, and then it will find its way through our body and be processed into sweat and then fight? Or you could just spray it on your body. If I had lots of money, I would give you some money. Uh, by, by which I mean, I mean... Pheromone types. Pheromones are naturally occurring volatile substances that are our subconscious brain. The effect is immediate. You feel more confident, make a better first impression and engender greater trust. Thanks to the latest painted technology, types with pheromones can help women feel special, subtly highlighting her sex appeal. With pheromone types, she can emanate an attractive and readable aura of self-confidence. Her voice will be perceived as more alluring, scent more sensual, skin more soft and smooth. She'll capture the magic of the moment she cares about the most. I've got some questions about this. It, I, I thought pheromones were unique to individuals. Or is there a pheromone that everybody likes? Um, I, I'm on the fence with this one, I'll be honest with you. Uh, it sounds good. I mean, I guess there can be an underpant version as well. I like the name. I think the name alone, trademark that, get all over it. I've been thinking about this, about the, the, the notion of noticing things. And it's a hard thing to put yourself in the present. And there's a whole kind of mindful movement that's um, about just finding time in your week to reflect and, and being able to decompress what, what you're thinking. It's a difficult, I think, if you're commuting or, or, or moving around places, you often are dwelling about your journey 
or someone that's annoyed you or something that's happened in the past or thinking about the future and what's likely to what you've got to do later that day and it's rare that you're ever in that space where you're just noticing things noticing smells and for me quite often noticing materials or the way things are made or problems that people are having with objects and that is a very I think fertile space to be in in terms of generating new ideas or finding problems that need solving and it's a difficult thing to try and and bring about but it's something that I'm, I'm again trying very hard at, at getting better at. was a joke so there's a story to this it really was a joke I did it one afternoon and I made four pre-chew pencils and I like the idea of it being in a pristine pack like it's a beautiful pack in John Lewis or somewhere and then in, you look at it up close and they're all chewed up and then the ends are not and I thought that'd be a sort of funny thing to sell but I just did four put them on my website and uh, one Tuesday morning I came in and my phone was going crazy and someone had seen it and blogged about it and it was Canadian, Irish, Australian radio stations. It was in this news feed. And so I did these various interviews and everyone was kind of like, why, 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 why are you doing this? And it, I pointed towards the other products that I'd done. And then the BBC called and I went and did the Chris Evans breakfast show. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. And then I started getting orders. And this Spanish company phoned up and said, we need desperately for next week, we need 6,000 pre-chewed pencils. And... I was like, something's got lost in translation here. So I sent them some pictures, you see, and they were like, yep, that's what we want. So then I was like, well, how am I going to make these? So are they, before we get, are they, are these mechanically chewed or I are they... I chewed them. I chewed four pencils and took pictures of them. And then I was panicking because I was like, what am I going to do here? So um, I phoned people. I was phoning up factories and going, have you got any ganashing equipment or have you got anything no nobody could do it i was buying dentures off i was even considering those wind up chattering teeth you know in a kind of construction i was like how am i going to do this and in the end i just thought you know i'm just going to have to chew these so i started chewing and disinfecting them and then i called up a bunch of mates on a friday afternoon and said look this is going to sound a bit weird but i need a favor here and there was a group of about six of us and we just sat in the office and started chewing them and one of my friends picked up a second pencil and jabbed two in his mouth and chewed through it and we all kind of looked at each other and we doubled productivity at a stroke when we realised we could do two at a time um, and that's how we did it disinfected them and sent them off to Spain so it was crazy I don't know why we did that but I couldn't think yeah, of anything else more, yeah they did they, so I mean, what I've, did you do? I've, I haven't found anyone if anybody has got any pre-chewing equipment I'd be delighted if they got in touch have you guys been chewing every pencil? I've chewed quite a few pencils, yeah. When you're, when you're doing that, I imagine like you're going, there's that kind of like intranasal, do you get this kind of head full of head wood? A full head of hair before I started chewing pencils, but I don't think it's done me any harm, all the lead. I think it's fine. I get headaches. That, that, that joke works really well on radio. If you want to get that joke, then um, go to lifeintense.com and we'll put a picture website. This is the sound of me slapping my head. There we go. I've got no hair. <laughs>